You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CibeloCreek.com. So, the Apostle Paul is one of the many authors of the letters that were written to the New Testament church. Those letters, some of them, were collected. They became the heart of what we call the New Testament. In one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the first century church, he wrote to the church at Corinth, and he makes this very interesting statement. He says, walk by faith, not by sight. Now, the word walk in kind of New Testament language, that means live. He's talking about the way you go about living your life. Live by faith, not by sight. So he's saying, don't live your life only by what you can see, what you can touch, what you can taste, what you can test. Don't only live your life on the stuff that you can prove. If you're a Christ follower, you must learn to live by faith. An understanding that God is real and that he has a part in your life. Live by the assumption that God is real. He is a way that he is. He has a certain character, a certain set of virtues. He behaves in a certain way. Trust that. He's made some promises. Know and trust those promises. He's given some instructions. Know and trust those instructions and live your life that way even when they don't necessarily make sense. Don't just live your life by what you can see on this earth in your experience. Walk by faith. In other words, you start looking at life, understanding that God is a part of my life. He's real and he's active and he can be involved if I'll let him. So then what is faith? Walk by faith. Well, faith Faith is a set of beliefs. Like we come to understand some things that are true about God. They become our beliefs. So faith then is a way of thinking. As we establish these beliefs about God and we live our lives accordingly, they become a way that we think about everything, about marriage, about raising kids, about our careers, about our health, about all that goes on in life. Hmm. So we've been talking the last couple of weeks about the fact that life is think, choose, do, that everything that we do in life, everything is the result of choices that we make, and those choices are influenced by thoughts, a pattern of thinking that we have entertained for so long that it influences the way that we live our life. And the writers of the New Testament are saying, think in terms of faith. Think in terms of what you know to be true about God and his instructions and his promises. Does it make sense? So if faith is a way of thinking, guess what else faith is? It's a paradigm. It's a way that we look at life. 
We've been talking about the fact that life is influenced by our perspective, the way that we look at it. So if faith is our perspective, then inevitably, as we've talked about so far in the series, your perspective always shapes your attitude, and your attitude influences how you experience life. So if my perspective is informed by faith, then my attitude and my experience of life will reflect the essence of the faith that I believe. So pretty soon what happens in the life of a Christ follower is he develops, she develops a paradigm, a way of looking at life, and God is at the center of it, and I start looking at marriage and parenting and finances and health and career and relationships and everything. I start looking through it as God is a part of it. Does that make sense? Okay. So what I'm inviting us to this month for 2022 is that we change our perspective on how we look at our spiritual lives, our Christian journey. That it's not just some obligation that we have to do. It's not just some performance we have to do well at in order to earn points for God to like us. That it, it can be something very different. We can look at it from a perspective of faith. And that faith or following Jesus can be an adventure. It's an adventure. Something we've never done or we're not very good at or we have lots of questions about. And we don't really know how the next twist and turn is going to unfold, but I have a faith of God's faithfulness that I'll go on this adventure with all the excitement and unknowns and the risk. Faith by nature is mysterious. It is. And it's rooted in the realm of the impossible for if we start living by faith, we have to be open to the fact that we will not have life all figured out. We won't always have it all together. And there are things that God's going to invite us to join him on where it's just like, really, God, I don't know if I can do this. But that's the adventure. That's the stepping out of the airplane and enjoying the skydiving. That's the adventure. Look at this, faith by nature is unfamiliar. It's just not territory that we traffic in all the time. Faith by nature is uncomfortable. There'll be butterflies. There'll be nerves. There'll be reticence like, oh, I just don't want to do this. I don't like doing this. That's, that's the adventure. I've never been on an adventure that there wasn't a part of it that's like, oh, why did I sign up for this? Why do I do this? Like every time I ride a roller coaster, Ding, 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 going up. I'm like, I have a master's degree. I'm smarter than this. <laughs> That's the adventure. Faith by nature is risky. Because God is going to invite you out into things that those around you won't understand. They won't make sense to you. But that's the adventure. In every adventure, there's something on the other side that's so much better than where we are when it all begins. So what's the first rule of adventure? The first rule of adventure is venture always happens outside of your comfort zone. 
by nature, outside of your comfort, comfort, comfort zone is what? It's uncomfortable. So some of what Jesus invites us to in the adventure of following him at times will be really uncomfortable. I mean, here's the nature of adventure. It's uncomfortable. It's not how you'd prefer to feel. It's unusual. It's different from like the normal routines that are so familiar and you're kind of like accustomed to them. They're unfamiliar. You've never done some of the adventures that Christ has invited you to or you've done them to a point, but you've never gone all the way in following him or it's unpredictable. You're, you're not really sure how it will go. If you look at it by sight, you're like, oh, I think I can figure this out, so I'm not going to go on that adventure. But if you live by faith, you start trusting that God might take me some places that I might not prefer when I get started, but will be so much better if I go on the adventure. So last week, we talked about the first adventure, or one of them. It's not the only one. There's many of them. We talked about the adventure of surrender. This idea of offering everything that you are, everything that you have, and everything that you want to God. This, this idea of just turning my life over to whatever God might choose for me. That's the adventure. Today we're going to talk about a second adventure. And I'll just tell you, this one's way outside of your comfort zone. I've never met anybody who this wasn't an enormous stretch. We as human beings, everything inside of us resists this particular adventure. Because there's a way that we're wired as human beings that we demand that life be just and that life be fair. That's why we get so uh, ticked off. We get ticked off when something doesn't seem fair. Or it wasn't just, and so we get, why? Because that's the way that God's wired us. That's part of God, the image of God that still resides in us, even though we may have no relationship with him. So just thinking about this one raises all sorts of reluctance. And for some of you in the room today, it'll be an immediate no. You'll cross your arms, either physically or metaphorically, and you'll say, nope, not going on that adventure. You'll actually be thinking to yourself, God doesn't get it. You interested? Here it is. You ready? The adventure of forgiveness. adventure of forgiveness. If you've already said no, you're in the airplane, your parachute's on, but you are refusing to step out. It's too scary. It's too risky. Too much could go wrong. You're, you're not going to do it. And I'll just tell you, you're going to miss out on what's on the other side. Now, probably every one of us in this room, we have, we have something. Maybe you've endured physical abuse in the home that you grew up in or the marriage that you were in at one time or in now. 
Maybe it's some emotional trauma. Some sort of personal injustice that you endured in, in your career, some other arena of your life, some sort of relational injury that hurts so bad, some sort of violation of trust, somebody yanked it out from under you, went way overdrawn in the account of trust, some sort of verbal offense, some sort of social insult that was significant enough that has left you feeling angry and hateful and bitter. Or you've been a part of some spiritually hypocritical situation and it was toxic. I doubt that there's a person in the room that doesn't relate to one of those or more. Okay, remember, think, choose, do. Remember that when we talked in weeks one and two about Time and energy and where you invest your time, where you put your energy ultimately tells the story of your life. So I'm going to tell you, if you spend a lot of time and energy rehearsing the scars and the situations that are legitimate, if you spend a lot of time and energy focused on what happened and who did it and how it unfolded, guess what? It's going to tell the story of your life. If you tend to be obsessed with the thoughts about all of this, and I don't mean that, uh, we'll talk more about what does it mean to be fixated on, just fixated on what happened, that you just keep making assumptions about this is the way that life always works, this is the relationships always work, this is how marriage always works, this is how love always works, whatever it is, when you keep thinking those ways, you'll keep making choices of bitterness and hatred and revenge, and you'll keep living that way. Because as the book of Proverbs tells us, as a man or a woman thinks, so are they. So let's begin with what is forgiveness. Psychologists generally define forgiveness as a conscious, deliberate decision to release, to let go of feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or a group who harmed you Regardless of what they, whether they actually deserve your forgiveness or not. Forgiveness is letting go of some deeply held feelings in response to a person or a group of people. Whether they deserve that forgiveness or not, forgiveness is the act of letting that go. Now, just as important as it is to talk about what forgiveness is, it's probably even more important to talk about what it isn't. A lot of people get sideways here. Here it is. Here's just a couple of things. Forgiveness is not glossing over, diminishing, or denying an offense. It's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. That's not what forgiveness is. In fact, forgiveness is recognizing how serious the violation was because the beauty of forgiveness is against the backdrop of just how harmful the injury was. Second thing, forgiveness is not forgetting. Oh, just forget about it. I'm just moving on. I'm just forgetting about it. No, you don't just forget about injury. It has to be worked through. It has to be healed properly. If you just forget about it, you end up crippled the rest of your life, limping through the emotional trauma of the injury that was created. Forgiveness is not condoning or excusing offense. Well, I, I sort of invited it. 
or that's just the way that they were raised. Okay, we don't condone it or excuse. That's not forgiveness. While forgiveness can help repair a damaged relationship, it doesn't obligate you to be reconciled or to reconcile with the person who harmed you or release them from legal accountability. There are situations where it's not safe to move back toward the person who keeps injuring you. Forgiveness is not, this is important, um, wives in an abusive marriage. Forgiveness is not foolishly ignoring abuse and exposing yourself to repeated or continued offenses. Does that make sense? You don't stay in an abusive situation, continue to put yourself in that situation as an act of forgiveness. Probably need about three weeks to do this, this one message. You guys still with me? Okay, let's just see if we can make forgiveness as kind of simple, straightforward as possible. Here, here's a one-word definition of forgiveness. You ready? Forgiveness is pardon. Forgiveness is pardon. To forgive someone is to pardon them from the penalty of the wrong they committed. Now, it's important for me to clarify. You may be able to pardon them personally, but there may be legal ramifications you don't have any control of, and they may be subject to some sort of legal action for the wrong that they committed, but we're talking about you pardoning them of the penalty. You see, forgiveness is rooted in a sense of justice, and justice by nature demands a penalty and some sort of restitution. That's the nature of forgiveness. And in a justice system, when somebody commits a crime, they're penalized, and they're penalized with two things, either a fine or a prison sentence, or both. And so when a person goes to prison, they're making restitution, they're paying for their crime, or they put up some sort of a, a money, amount of money as a way of making restitution and paying for their offense. But we're not talking about a legal situation right now. We're talking about you and me forgiving somebody who's hurt us deeply. There is no prison. There is no legal pronouncement of their wrong. We're, we're just talking about you dealing with what happened to you. But here's the, here's the thing. We, having been offended and hurt, we create our own prison and put them in it. We establish our own terms of restitution of what they would have to do for us to forgive them. It's a personal prison. It's a psychological prison. It's an it's a emotional fine or prison that we put people in. See, unforgiveness is holding people in an emotional or relational prison as a penalty for their bad behavior. Did you follow that? Okay. Here's how that works. They don't get to send them to prison for what they did to us. They don't get to pay a fine and make it up to us. So what we do is we make them pay 
You listening? We make them pay in the way that we think and act toward them. We make them pay for what they did by how we think about them and how we act toward them. And here's just a short list. This is how we make people pay. We treat them in anger, hatred, resentment, bitterness. We just ignore them. This is passive-aggressive anger. We just kind of shun them. We neglect being even considered toward them. Um, We create distance. We can be rude to them, cold, mean, impatient. Uh, We can start rumors. We can get on social media and create a whole narrative of what that person's is like and, and win the, uh, the approval and affirmation of those who don't really know the truth. It's just your side of the story. You can create rumor about them and destroy them. That way you can be harsh, critical, judgmental. You can create um, separation, sabotage, anything that they try to do by way of making it right. They, you can just live in opposition to them. That's the prison that we create that we put them in. Make sense? So forgiveness is unlocking the prison cell and setting the offender free from the penalty that they probably deserve in the pain that they inflicted. But forgiveness is letting them out of the penalty that we're demanding of them. Not because what they did was not harmful or wrong, but because you choose not to live your life as the warden of their punishment. And you know what? You know what? Thank you, Jerry. It's biblical. It's the way that God has invited us to live our lives. Look at this. Romans chapter 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. That whole list. That's repaying evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Christ follower, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, you do what's right. You live with peace. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God. For God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I, God, will repay injustice. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That list that I just showed you back here, that's repaying evil for the evil that was done for you. And it's contrary to how God instructs us to live our lives. Look at this, 1 Peter. To this you were called. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That's the call of a Christian. That rather than me taking revenge, rather than me locking someone in prison and being the warden of their punishment, I allow God to be my defender and do what he chooses and decides is best to do on my behalf. The refusal to forgive indicates your choice to let the offender live rent-free in your head while imprisoned by your own hatred and anger. Christ instructs us clearly to forgive. 
trust me. I've looked for every way out possible. It's not an option. There's no exceptions to the rule. No Christ follower, listen, no Christ follower is exempt from forgiveness regardless of the severity of the hurt or the abuse that they've endured. While counselors and therapists and psychologists may offer a certain approach to forgiveness, we as Christians, we are called to understand our Savior's approach. And Christ had very clear things to say about forgiveness. These are just a few. You've heard it said, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. That was a popular teaching in Jesus' day by other rabbis. Love your neighbor, but if anybody's ever done anything to hurt you, you're, you're free to hate your enemy, but I tell you. Jesus is saying, if you're gonna follow me, if you're gonna go on an adventure as a follower of Christ, you, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The Apostle Paul defines what love is, love your enemies. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Unforgiveness is a record of wrongs that are kept and held. Peter came to Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? The common teaching of rabbis that day was you were to forgive three times, and then all bets were off. Peter is like trying to be really, you know, generous. He says, should I, should I forgive them up to seven times? Like, look how spiritual I would be. I doubled it plus one. Jesus says, no, 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 I, I tell you. Remember, it's about what Jesus has to say. I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven, and I'm not very good at math, but that's a lot. That's Jesus' way of saying unlimited. You always keep forgiving. Now, if there's a, some point in a situation where somebody keeps hurting, keeps offending, then it becomes a question of wisdom. Why are you continuing to allow them to do this abuse against you? You have to find a different arrangement, a different accountability, a different honesty, a different um, set of boundaries to protect yourself in a situation where somebody continues to abuse or to inflict harm. But we continue to offer forgiveness. Look at this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, this is for Christians, Christians, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Like, this is how you get dressed in the morning. You clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility, meaning you recognize that you've hurt and you've done wrong, and humility and gentleness and patience bear with each other because we're human. We do stupid stuff. We tolerate and put up as an act of grace. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, and here it is, this, this is the law of Christ. This is the standard. You, me, we as Christ, we are to forgive. Oh, wait a second. As the Lord forgave you, 
a million times for offenses that don't even begin to compare to the one that you've endured. If we truly understand the nature of our sin in the presence of a holy God, we don't understand just how often and how much God has forgiven us, and that is the standard. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Ephesians 4, let, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. All that anger, all that bitterness, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not break the Spirit's heart. Grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander. Get rid of it. It's toxic. It will destroy you along with every form of malice. Be kind. Be compassionate to one another. Here it is again. Forgiving each other just as Christ, in Christ God, forgave you. Forgiveness comes from a place of honesty about ourselves that we too have inflicted harm. We too have hurt and injured and violated trust. We too have created pain in other people. And in the eyes of God, we are just as guilty, but we have been forgiven a million times. Remember, perspective. I start looking through the lens that I've been forgiven everything. I must now practice the forgiveness that's been extended to me by granting the grace and love and compassion to those who've hurt me. From the best I can tell, there's no offense no abuse, no injustice that exempts us from the command to forgive. I mean, Jesus forgave people as they were killing him. Okay. Um, I got like two minutes. Will you give me two more minutes? Years ago, a long time ago, I was in graduate school, so don't spend the next two minutes trying to figure out who this was. <laughs> this was more than 30 years ago. Somebody did something to me that hurt me deeply. Said things that weren't true, put my entire career at risk, and I hated them. I was so angry for years. Couldn't stand the thought of this person. Used their position of power and hurt me deeply. I was fixated on the fantasy of getting revenge. Somehow, some way, I was going to set the record straight, I was going to even the score. 
consumed my life for years. Many years later, I realized he probably didn't even think about it ever again. I thought about it almost every day. And what I realized, I was the one living in a prison. My hatred, my anger. I was the one who was paying the penalty. And I decided I was going to forgive. Because I thought that that's what Jesus wanted me to do. <laughs> and I was a pastor. So I tried. I said the words. I prayed the prayer. I, I wrote the letters. You know what? Nothing changed. Didn't work. Still hated him. But I learned a lesson. One of the most liberating principles of forgiveness that I've ever learned in my entire life. And I learned that forgiveness doesn't work like that for most people. That forgiveness is, in fact, a process. I had to choose to forgive him a million times for years. Every time his face came to mind, every time I understood, remembered again what he did to me, I had to make a conscious decision that I would forgive him again. Like God forgives me every day. Some of you, you've been hurt deeply. You've been injured in a very serious way. And maybe you feel like I felt that if I couldn't forgive him like that, that I was failing to do what Jesus asked me to do. And then I learned to reframe it. You see, if you and I were standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon, north or south, and I said, I want you to jump from the north rim to the south rim, you can take as much of a running start as you'd like. Go ahead, just leap that canyon. You'd say, you're an idiot, Paul. I can't do that. Nobody can do that. That's impossible. Okay, I'll grant you that. That's, that's a pretty big leap. But what if I gave you a backpack with some water, some food, maybe a tent and sleeping bag, and I allowed you to just one step at a time walk down to the bottom of that canyon and then maybe spend the night or a couple of nights and then make your way back up the other side? It's 11 miles, I believe. One little step at a time. You could do that. Might take you longer than another person, but you could get from one side of the Grand Canyon to another if you just took one little step at a time, right? Some of you, you've been injured so deeply, so seriously, so severely that forgiveness being instantaneous is like trying to leap the Grand Canyon. But what if you could take one step at a time, like every day from this day forward, you determine before God that you are going to forgive the person who hurt you. And tomorrow you're gonna forgive them again. 
And the next day you're gonna forgive them a hundred times and the next day you're gonna continue to forgive them and then the day after that you're gonna continue to forgive them again because what I found is forgiveness is a process, not a one-time event. What I realized years later is that the more often I gave myself to the consideration of forgiving that man, it became easier. And pretty soon I didn't see him like I used to. And I rarely think about it now. Certainly not with the hateful, hate and the anger and the revenge that I did for so long. That's the adventure. That's the adventure of forgiveness. That from this day forward, you determine before God that you will choose a million times if it's necessary you are going to extend to them the same grace, love, and compassion that God has extended to you a million times over every day of your life. Because there's freedom there. There's healing there. There's hope and joy there. So what if this became our prayer or something like it? God, with your help, because I'm going to need your help. God, with your help, I am willing to step toward forgiveness and grant the one who has hurt me a pardon, a pardon that comes from your love and your grace that you've given to me, a pardon of your love and grace as many times and for as long as it takes. I choose to forgive. Adventure. It's uncomfortable. It's unfamiliar. It's unpredictable. And it's really There is nothing that you will ever do for your heart that will be more worth it.